we are continuing in a section of Mark's gospel in which King Jesus' authority is under assault by the religious leaders of his day. And so if you would join me in reading from Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He, meaning Jesus, entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Why? So that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, I can't imagine that face, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Would you pray with me? God, there's so much going on in our family of faith this morning. We've we've just celebrated the home going of Bob Wampler and God, we pray, Lord, your your grace and your comfort and your presence with that family, God, that you would bless them with a special measure of the awareness of your goodness in these days. God, there, there are others who are nearing that same time where, where they're going to join that sacred throne. And God, there are others who are suffering under a uh, weight of sickness or diagnosis of cancer and so many other things. God, every, every week that we look at the prayer list, it, it seems to get longer and not shorter. And so, God, I pray, not knowing all the cares and the burdens that have been brought into this room, God, I pray your special presence upon each one of us, God, that you would allow us in the, in the next few moments to, to move beyond the temporary and to press into the eternal, God, that you would allow the truths of your word to permeate our minds and our hearts in such a way that, we, that we're changed and that we're even more grateful for who you are and the mission that you've entrusted to us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So by this point in Mark's gospel, we know that Jesus has all authority. He's been proving it. And he's been demonstrating that he has more regard for hurting people than he does for time-honored traditions, assumptions, or cultural preferences that would prevent us from fulfilling God's mission in the world. As Christ's local church... That means we're called to walk in the authority of Jesus and to fulfill His mission in the world. And what this whole section from the beginning of chapter 2, continuing through verse 12 of chapter 3, what the whole section is showing us is that Jesus' authority and His constant focus on mission can make us comfortable as long as our focus is on ourselves. Focusing on ourselves is inconsistent with knowing Jesus and being a part of His mission. So this morning, I want to remind us of four things. When we walk in the authority of Jesus, and when we prioritize His mission in the world, and those two things go together, right? You're not walking in the authority of Jesus if you're ignoring Jesus' mission in the world. The Father says of Jesus that I'm sending you, and that He sends us as Jesus was sent. So so the purpose for the mantle of Jesus' authority upon His church is for His mission, Matthew 28. 
So, so as that is true of his church, there's four things that we must expect. First, we must expect opposition from the comfortably religious. Second, we must remember it is always right to do good, even when it is personally costly. Thirdly, we must understand Jesus is not pleased when we put our preferences before his mission. And finally, we must call on the broken to respond to Jesus in faith. First, we must expect opposition from the comfortably religious. In challenging the Pharisees' views of Sabbath, Jesus is not just challenging Sabbath itself. He's striking at the heart, the very heart of how the religious leaders conceived of their identity, their traditions, and their culture. The Pharisees had come to think of themselves as God's last best hope for Israel, forgetting that God's Son was their only hope for life, and not just for them, but especially for the broken. And if Jesus would sacrifice their Sabbath regulations, the time-honored traditions associated with the sacred symbol of national and religious identity to heal broken people, then what wouldn't Jesus do? Jesus comes to the most seemingly God-conscious people on the planet, and He says, it isn't about you or your traditions. It's about the tradition once for all delivered to the saints, the gospel, the good news that God has come to do through Jesus what we cannot do for ourselves. And to make this point, Mark shows us how the Pharisees and Jesus see the man with the withered hand. They see the same man, but they see two different opportunities. The Pharisees see an opportunity to bring an accusation in defense of their tradition. Jesus sees an opportunity to bring healing in advance of God's mission. Do you understand that the way we see the broken around us, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what their condition is, is an indication of whether or not we really have a heart for God. The Pharisees will do whatever they can to keep what they think they have. Jesus does whatever necessary to let others share in the healing that is rightfully His. When Jesus puts the mission of God before the comfort and familiarity and the traditions of the Pharisees that they have wrapped up in the Sabbath day, the Pharisees do the unthinkable. Look what they do in verse 6. They conspire with the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? They're the people loyal to King Herod. Holding the Jews under their oppression and letting them have the semblance of religious liberty. Oh sure, you can have your temple and you can do your thing. And they conspire with the government against the King of glory, against Jesus. To do what? To destroy Him. So the Pharisees, defending the Sabbath day, who say the only thing you can do on the Sabbath is promote life, everything else has to wait, they conspire to kill on the Sabbath day. This should not surprise us though, right? We know that the mission of God is seldom comfortable. The prophets were rejected. Paul was shipwrecked and undermined and snake-bitten. Stephen was stoned to death. The persecution of the first church at Jerusalem went from house to house. Jesus was mocked and flogged and spat upon and crucified. The mission of God challenges us in those places in our lives where church is more about what we can get from it than it is about offering ourselves in grateful worship and service motivated by what God has already given to us. But when discomfort, when the discomfort of prioritizing the mission of God challenges and stretches us, 
We do not have to settle like the Pharisees did for what's comfortable or what's familiar. We can look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we can know that whatever comforts He calls us to lay down for Him, that they are eternally worth it. Amen? We can look to Jesus and allow the priority of reaching people to lead us to abandon our comforts, for, to follow Christ as He leads us in His mission. And we can do that. Because we have the example of Jesus. It's exactly what He did. He despised the shame in order to pursue the cross that He might win a people and purchase a bride for Himself. Jesus shows us, secondly, that we must remember it is always right to do good even when it is personally costly. It is always right to do good even when it is personally costly. Jesus knows what is happening here. That's why he asked two questions in verse 4. Do you see that? He asked them first, is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath? Why does he ask them that? Because he's right, he's about to heal the man with the withered hand. He's going to do good on the Sabbath day. But then he asked the second question, which really doesn't make much sense unless Jesus understands what's up. To save a life or to kill? In other words, are you really going to kill me? Are you really going to allow the fact that I'm going to heal a man with a withered hand to be your justification for killing me? You see, Jesus is going to do good on the Sabbath even though He knows the Pharisees are going to use it as an opportunity to undermine Him and ultimately to take His life. Jesus could have avoided the controversy and spared His life, but instead He says to the man with a withered hand, what does He say in verse 3? Get up and come forward. When He calls on the man to get up, He puts in motion The plan that will lead to the day that he's lifted up as the Lamb of God to die for the sins of the world. As Edwards writes, this this sentence just jumped off the page at me. With his entire road still before him. We're only in chapter 3 of Mark. With the whole road of ministry still before him, Jesus must conduct his journey in the shadow of the cross. He knows where he is going. And yet he still goes. Though he will suffer greatly for doing good, he still does the good. And if the church is the body of Christ in the world, we should not expect that fulfilling the mission of God in the world is going to be easy for us. If it required the life of Jesus, it's going to take our lives as well. Maybe not literally, but it's going to take us pouring and investing our lives into the mission. And we know that we have brothers and sisters around the world even today. It is literally exacting the cost of their lives to be faithful to Christ. As Jesus has said, a slave is not greater than his master. But imagine that you're the Pharisees for a moment. Too often we beat up the Pharisees a little too much, I think, because the reason we're presented with the Pharisees is because we have some of the same Pharisaical tendencies in our own lives and in our own hearts. So you really thought, imagine Jesus comes and you really thought everything you were doing was great. You really thought it was honoring to God. And along comes this Jesus whose presence brings a consistent challenge to your presuppositions and your way of life. Seen through these lenses, we can understand how difficult this must have been. But Jesus has come not to make us feel good about our abilities, efforts, or traditions, but to transform us from the inside out. And when He does, He gives us His authority for mission in the world. And church, can I just tell you, this passage has been rocking my world because if we're going to earn opportunities to declare that there is a healing for people who are broken, 
We're going to have to pour our lives into the mission of God in ways that are not always comfortable. And I want to I take a, a time out from the text for a moment because I, I've been reflecting for the last few weeks on this passage. And sometimes when I do that, it's dangerous. Because it's one thing to say that God would call us to a level of uncomfortability. It's another thing to actually meditate on that thought. So I want to share with you what I wrote down when reflecting on this passage. Jesus heals the man with the withered hand even though it sets in motion the plotting of his death. Do we see it? Christ says we must be willing to die for his sake and the sake of the gospel, but so quickly church can become for us like the Sabbath was for the Pharisees. It can become only about us. What can the church directly provide? What can we do, not outsource, that is free to all who need it, like Jesus' death, but costly for us to provide? The world gives away what is free, but it is usually cheap. Jesus gives away what is free, and it costs Him His life. I wonder if the world would be more inclined to hear our gospel if we also showed them the gospel consistently. What are we doing, or what could we do, that would lead the crowds of people all around us to press into the body of Christ, even though it may cost our lives, or at the very least, our livelihoods. We are the body of Christ in the world. Do we really believe that? Are we really living that? Is there a way we could have a sustained and shocking presence for the glory of Christ in our community? In an ocean of needs, is there anything that we can do? What, would we, what can we do that is big and bold and audacious enough to capture the attention of the people around us who are far from God? What could we do to intercept the cycle of poverty and the rate of divorce that plagues so many around us? Did you know that Roanoke is the leading city in the Commonwealth of Virginia for the divorce rate? The number one city in the Commonwealth of Virginia for divorce is Roanoke, Virginia. What if we... Now, now I'm getting really radical and I don't know if that God's leading us to do this, but I just wrote this down. What, what if we wrote a letter to every manager, owner, and president within two radial miles of this building and we offered free preschool care to single moms and dads working in their companies? What if we paid the teachers well, provided the snacks, gave little boys and girls an early foundation in the gospel? Of course, we would probably have to turn people away if we could offer something like that. But wouldn't it be great to, have turn, to, to turn people away from coming to our building? Now, I'm not saying that God is telling us to do this, but here's what I know. We've got 67,000 heated and cooled square feet of building under roof at one of the best locations in the Roanoke Valley. And it honors Christ to ask, how can we leverage to the best of our ability what God has already entrusted us for the glory of His great name? Are y'all here? Y'all with me? What, what would compel people? To see the love of Christ for them through a church that offers them healing at a great cost to herself. What can we offer that goes beyond feeling good about giving to giving in a way that does lasting good? Oh, that's a good sentence. How is God? How is God calling us to move out of our comfort zones and deeper into the hard work of displaying the love of Christ in the world so we can earn opportunities to credibly share the gospel with those who are broken? What healing can we offer that gives us the opportunity to tell others, lots of others, about true healing? And I'm not sure what God's going to lead us to do. But I do know that whatever it is, it will mess with our assumptions. It will mess with our preferences. It will make us uncomfortable. 
And Jesus deserves that we would be open to that. Thirdly, we must understand Jesus is not pleased when we put our preferences before His mission. Jesus' question in verse 4 should have helped the Pharisees reevaluate their hearts, but what is their response? They are silent. It's easy to blame the Pharisees, but entire churches have split over far less than Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees. He comes in and says, Sabbath, you've totally messed it up. It's not about you. And when Jesus leads His church to take bold steps to bring His healing to people, the temptation for us is to be silent, to sit on our hands, to do nothing, rather than to wrestle with anything in our hearts that would prevent us from getting the gospel to as many people as possible. But indifference only invites the holy anger of Jesus. You say, Pastor, are there really Christians who would hold on to something so tightly that it would prevent them from wanting to advance the mission of God in the world? Who does that? It happens all the time. When I filled a pulpit for a church in Southside, Virginia, I was invited to do a revival and they enjoyed my preaching and a friend of mine was a part of that revival as well and he happened to be an African American man. They were a small dying white church but the closest community to them was a trailer park where many African Americans lived and after I preached a revival message from Jonah chapter 4 of all things, do you remember what happens in Jonah 4? Jonah gets angry because God's grace goes to Nineveh people who aren't Israelites, and he sits and he pouts, and God chastises Jonah. Right after I finished that sermon, the chairman of the deacons walked me out to my car, and he said, would you consider being our pastor? And I said, I thought you were considering my friend. And this is what he said. You know we can't consider him. If he comes here, those people might feel welcome. And he pointed right at the trailer park. And if they feel welcome here, they might come here and they might take over the church. Brothers and sisters, I didn't know what to say. I'm embarrassed. I did not say more. I just said, I don't think this is the place for me. And I never went back. Earlier this week, a pastor friend called me nearly in tears. His deacons had called a secret meeting and opened with a word of prayer and then asked for his resignation. He asked them why. Things are going well. The church is growing. People are coming. And they said, you just preach too much from the Bible. And you spend too much time talking about sin and the Great Commission And God's love for all people. And when I asked him what he said, he started to cry. He said, I didn't know what to say. I just sat there in stunned silence. This is still happening in the United States of America. And while my friend didn't know how to respond, and quite frankly, I didn't respond very well, Jesus answers the Pharisees. He does not let his opponent's silence go unanswered. Because silence is an answer. 
Jesus does not answer with words, but by looking around at them in anger. Verse 5. We seldom see paintings of Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple or giving religious leaders the angry stare down. But Jesus is filled with a holy and righteous indignation at their sinful selfishness, which comes from their hardened hearts. The word hardness here means calloused. They had become dead, incapable of feeling God's incredible overriding love and desire to heal people. We don't know what Jesus' face looked like, but I imagine that the Pharisees' focus on themselves looked a bit like Michael Phelps when he had that challenger showboating around him right before their race. Do you remember that? <laughs> Hashtag Phelps face. I, I don't know, but Jesus knows what's in their hearts and He looked around at them in anger. As Edwards writes, the observers are willing to tolerate the lamentable condition of another human being. And in this instance, they use it as leverage against Jesus. But Jesus does not use people, whether powerful or powerless, for ulterior purpose. For Jesus, the gospel of God is different from proper religion in that it is about the disposition of the heart which cannot remain unmoved in the face of suffering. And we know that the heart of Jesus is moved with compassion in the face of suffering. Why? Because He models it for us in what He does. He shows us what the church can do and can be about. He shows us that we can call on the broken to respond to Jesus in faith. Look at verse 5. In verse 5 we see a picture of what it looks like when Jesus heals people. To a man with a withered hand... He says, stretch out your hand. Jesus is basically saying this. Let everybody in here see your brokenness. And at the moment that you admit and identify your brokenness, that's the moment that I'll heal you. Can you imagine how that man must have felt? The man with the withered hand? He probably walked in trying to conceal his withered hand. And yet Jesus calls him out in verse 3. And now he doesn't just call him out. He says, show everybody your hand. And can you imagine? I would have been thinking, do I really have to show you my hand? Can't you just heal it, Jesus? I mean, don't you think you can just heal it while it's down here in my pocket? And yes, Jesus could have done that. But he doesn't. Because Jesus is not just giving us a picture of His authority and of His power, but He's giving us a picture of healing, saving faith. Jesus does not bypass our brokenness to heal us. He goes right to the heart of the matter. In other words, when you come to Jesus, you actually get real about the junk that's on the inside of your life. The twistedness, the brokenness, the bitterness, all that stuff. When Jesus heals a withered hand, He says, stretch out your hand. When He heals a heart that it's withered by sin, He says, repent of your sins. Jesus comes to those who are broken by all sorts of stuff, and He says, show me your pettiness. Show me your laziness. Show me your bitterness. Show me your jealousy. Show me your foolish pride. Show me your addiction. Show me your lust. Show me your phony faith. Show me your pretending religion. Show me your selfishness. Whatever it is that is holding you back from a white hot pursuit of the mission of God in the world, show it to me. Be honest about it. Stop saying that it's a hang up. That it's a mistake. It's a tiny little problem. And admit to God 
and to others, that it is dominating and controlling and destroying your life. The promise of the gospel is the moment that you stretch out your brokenness to Jesus in faith is the moment that Jesus will act to heal you. No matter how much it may challenge us this morning, North Roanoke Baptist Church, there are people whose hearts are withered all around us. And they need to know the One who they can run to with their brokenness and find that God Himself will heal them. May God make us a people who aren't comfortable being comfortable, but who are willing to be uncomfortable for the One who gave His life for us. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, we thank You. We bless You. And we ask You, God, by Your Holy Spirit's presence this morning, that You would convict us where we need to be convicted. That You would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And God, I I don't know what you have for North Roanoke, but you have blessed us in so many ways. You've blessed us with a family that loves one another. You've blessed us with a people who is not content to just stay the same. You've given us a facility that is incredibly well located in our valley. And God, I've got to believe that you want to use us and leverage us in some ways that, yes, will be uncomfortable So that Christ would have the opportunity and we would have the opportunity to see Christ bring healing to people that we never even imagined. God, I pray that we would lift up our eyes and see what you can do. And that you would fill our hearts with your vision and your purpose in this valley. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.